If a coyote crosses the border and no one is there to see it, does it make drop? You know, there are those in Washington who will tell you no. And as planes land all over the country loaded with illegals, who dares to call out the truth? I'll tell you who. Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. And with today's lesson, here's Dan. We have a lot to learn, don't we? Lots to learn, and how much time do we have left (laughs) to learn it? Can we learn it? Well, it's not a question that can or can't we learn it. It's a question of will or won't we allow the truth to handle it. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. St. John, 8th chapter, 32nd verse. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live We're going to wrap up the week together, and I'm a very appreciative American that you chose to come here to share your Friday morning with us. In fact, we we just love having you aboard every morning. Well, what's going on, Dan, around the world? It's just pretty much utter chaos. There are so many things happening right now that we don't have any answers for. And this one really, really scares me. What's going on? in the way of people disappearing. People are disappearing. Now, what does that mean? Honestly, I don't know. But we are seeing or hearing about again and again and again the FBI going to going to homes, storming homes and taking people And obviously, we know, we've watched it happen again and again where the FBI comes in, they arrest somebody in very, very visible fashion. And we always know after the fact at least what's going on and where they're going. But now, we know of two that have happened in the last few weeks where those exact things have happened. The FBI comes in, very, very colorful. You know, they come in all the riot gear and vehicles, even helicopters flying overhead. And they take somebody, it's in front of a television cameras. They coordinate it. But yet, we don't know what's going on. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do about that. Monday, this coming Monday, at 10 o'clock our time, Congressman Mike Johnson from the 4th Congressional District here in Louisiana is going to join us. Now, the congressman is a member of the uh, the House Judiciary Committee, and they deal a lot. They have oversight uh, responsibilities and capabilities with the FBI. And I asked him when we spoke about, I'm going to talk with him about two th- specific things. One is, what the heck is going on in our elections? What are his anticipations for Well, let's see, he comes Monday, it'll be one day shy of being just two weeks before the election. What is he seeing? What are they seeing in the landscape of Washington, D.C. about the 2022 midterm elections? And oh, by the way, what does he think about meddling? Does he think there's going to be any meddling? And I'm going to get him to really clear up this mystery about these people being arrested and hauled off 
and nobody knows anything about it after the fact. That's just not good for Americans to see that happening. The FBI has has been a stellar law enforcement agency. In fact, it's been known for many, many years as the number one law enforcement agency on the planet. They shouldn't be. No law enforcement agency of any government should be doing some of the things that we're seeing them do. Now, a lot of them are politically colorful. We all know about what happened in the last year of the Trump administration when the FBI really did weaponize for political purposes some of their arrests. You remember in the deep of night but early morning, they would storm a house. CNN always found out about it somehow. Well, you know how that happened. They were, they were informed, and they were always there. When you had anything to do with Donald Trump, even if you weren't in his administration, was a friend, an advisor, and you got the FBI mad at you, they would just show up at your house and ceremoniously arrest you and take you away. And right now today, one of those guys that uh, is the victim, has been the victim of just being a Trump supporter, Steve Bannon, he is in court right now finding out if he's going to go to jail for defying the January 6th committee subpoena to come before their committee. What else is going on? Well, Joe Biden is doing what Joe Biden does today with less than three weeks remaining until the midterms. The president announced a couple of days ago He's going to go after our Strategic Petroleum Reserve one more time. He's going to release 15 million more barrels of oil from our stockpile. And of course he says it, it's not for political purposes. This morning, early this morning, at the White House, one reporter asked him, the president, is this just about the midterm elections? You're doing this, and you tell the American people, Oh, I've released all of this 180 million barrels of our strategic petroleum reserves. It's been for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to help the American people get through this. This price gouging that's happening at the Trump uh, at the pump, it's the responsibility of these evil oil companies. It has nothing to do with any inflation. It has nothing to do with our administration. It's somebody else's fault. So he's releasing 15 million more barrels of oil today. How, how is that going to help the American people? Well, obviously, if he sells it domestically, these oil companies have a little more oil to sell, right? Do you know how much oil we use every day? Uh, 15 million barrels. <laughs> so he's going to release from our strategic petroleum reserves enough oil for one day. Think about that. Why? Why would anybody believe what he says in the light of the fact we know all this is is nothing but ceremonial uh, it's not substantive. Well, I mean, I guess it, in a way it could be because it is actually something. He is releasing oil and it, a lot of it, if not all of it, is going to turn up 
in the tanks of American people, and he says it's going to drive the price of oil down. But is it? Will it really do that? So he's ceremoniously being ripped apart every day in the media for all kinds of things. Larry Kudlow, nobody can argue he's one of the chief economists on the planet. He just weighed right in to the president and called the president out for what he sees Joe Biden actually doing. So I'm not quite finished with Joe Biden's fraudulent and duplicitous presser yesterday. That's where he announced another strategic petroleum reserve drawdown of 15 million barrels and then said with a straight face that it wasn't really a political decision. Well, there isn't a common sense American, not one common sense American who really believes that. But it got worse. Mr. Biden blamed high energy prices on the oil companies. They're making too much money. It's a conspiracy. They're not doing their job and they're asleep. Please watch this and weep. My administration has not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production. Quite the opposite. The problem is these guys are asleep. Yeah, who's asleep, Joe? Who first said they're going to shut down the fossil fuel industry? Take a listen to this and weep some more. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Period. That's right. Period. This is utterly duplicitous. And it points out what millions of Americans have come to know about Joe Biden. He has a major character flaw. He lies with impunity. Now, I don't like to use that word about presidents, but this president has given me no choice. These are not little white lies. These are not little embellishment fibs. These are major policy statements that he will not own up to. What's more, U.S. production is several million barrels short of where it should be. Same for gasoline. And get ready for the big chill, where natural gas, heating oil, electricity, propane costs are so high, it's going to be a very cold winter for Americans. Everybody's going to have to wear, wear three sweaters like Jimmy Carter. Biden can blame whomever he wants. But the reality is his radical climate change policies have stopped leasing, permitting, fracking, refining. He knows it. The country knows it. And no matter what he says, on the eve of this election, it is not going to change anybody's derogatory opinion. That of his policy or his character. You know, that's the way things work in real life. No one in this country has confidence in this president. No one, as much as any other factor, I think, be it high inflation, recession, fossil fuels, radical global warming, anti-business regulations. The fact that we have lost economic security and national security power, all this factors in to showing the cavalry is coming and a Republican wave are tied in as much as anything to a lack of confidence in this president. There's no other way I can put it. We'll hear more about all this with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and uh, American Petroleum Institute CEO Mike Summers. But I sense, and maybe I'll be wrong, but I sense that this unstoppable decline in presidential confidence brought about by self-inflicted wounds on virtually a daily basis is one of the key factors in this election. And it is not going to be broken. You know what? 
None of us should be surprised when we find out that President Joe Biden has misrepresented the truth. I, when I was a kid, I could never say that. I would never hear that from my mom and dad if I said something that wasn't real. <laughs> they would call it what it is, a lie. Joe Biden does not tell the truth. And so what does that mean? It means he's got to scramble every day. Either he will just keep on lying with impunity, which I think that's what's happening in many cases with our president, or he'll begin to think very, very deeply and say, what did I, what lie did I tell? What did I lie about yesterday? And who did I tell it to? And so then he has to come up with something that kind of falls in line. The next time he talks to him, it falls in line to what he lied about to him before. And he'll tell another lie. It's really, it's really, um, it's, it's just tiring to live in a world like that. Think about it. You'd spend all your time trying to cover for something that you did or said before. We're seeing that play out in the life of this president as he leads our nation. Now, something popped up yesterday. I didn't have time on the show yesterday. I just discovered it right before we went on the air. And this, folks, illustrates what's going on in New York City, the Big Apple. Our oldest daughter just came back. She was there for three or four days for work. While she was there, she's a a runner, a jogger, and she was happy to be able to jog in Central Park in a 5K race. But things up there are different, very different from the last time she went. Let me say this. New York City's always been, if not my favorite city on the planet, one of my favorite. I love to go there. I love the different cultures. I love the fact that especially down on the south end of Manhattan, you can go through Chinatown, Italian town. They're just crossing one street into a next street. And they make these blocks and they're not segregating themselves away from fellow New Yorkers. What they're doing is they're honoring their heritage and walking through the these little boroughs. They're not really boroughs unto themselves, but it's like little areas where like-minded and like-heritage people get together and they, uh, they glorify each other and their cultures. I love that. I love the food, of course. It's not looking like that's going to last. Much of it is already gone. The new mayor up there, Eric Adams, He's a a former cop. Everybody thought he was going to be Mr. Law Enforcement, was going to straighten out the crime in New York City, and he's done exactly the opposite. But let me tell you what is happening. People can't say, they can't figure out. What is Eric Adams doing? What is the mayor doing? Well, he's doing some stuff, no question about it. Listen to this. Right after New York City Mayor Eric Adams hired New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks' longtime girlfriend, a woman named Sheena Wright. He hired her as deputy mayor. Right after that happened, New York City School Chancellor David Banks, remember that was his girlfriend that Eric Adams hired, Sheena Wright. Right after that, Banks very quietly promoted Adams' longtime girlfriend, Tracy Collins, to a top post at the Department of Education. 
So as the Department of Education senior advisor to the Deputy Chancellor of School Leadership, Collins got a big pay raise up to $221,597 during the summer. Before that, she had been a school administrator with the Department of Education since 2008, making about $173,000. Wright, who is now the deputy mayor for strategic initiatives, is one of five women deputy mayors hired by Eric Adams. Now, it's unclear what Wright makes since taking office in early 2022, but in 2021, deputy mayors pulled in a quarter of a million dollars. Wright had been president and CEO of United Way of New York City, which is a nonprofit that helps low-income New Yorkers. The two women now receive a collective pay, listen to this, of $473,579. There's no need to tell you, but the hirings have raised some eyebrows around the Big Apple. David Bloomfield a Brooklyn College and CUNY Grad Center education professor, told the Post, it's not only a bad look smacking of favoritism and cronyism. It displays a degree of insularity and groupthink that's adverse to organizational effectiveness. New York law, listen to this, New York City law, explicitly prohibits nepotism. In a city that cries out for innovation and innovative solutions to vexy problems that they have, credit where credit is due. Adams and Banks, a longtime confidant, creatively sidestepped the matter since neither one hired their own girlfriend. Fabian Levy, Adams' spokesman, said the city's Conflicts of Interest Board gave the okay for Adams and Columns both working for the city simultaneously since Adams, as mayor, is her boss. Can you believe this is happening? It's very public, all of the horrible issues that are happening on this mayor's watch in Washington, D.C. Nobody thought it could get worse than Mayor Bill de Blasio and what he did and what he didn't do in the New York City. Eric Adams is taking it up a notch and they're walking. They may not be stepping across the line, but they're walking right up to the line. Anyway, the two buddies have their girlfriends in very heavy weighted political positions in New York city, but neither one of them broke the law by doing it because they each hired each other's girlfriend. Oh, gosh. Remember the old saying, Nero fiddled while Rome burned? (laughs) That's exactly what's going on in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams, he's just burning New York City, but he's not the one burning it, but he's watching it burn, and he's doing nothing but finding ways to take advantage of the New York City people. You probably heard this morning a federal judge in Missouri denied a request, a court request by a group of Republican state leaders that were trying to block Biden's student loan forgiveness program. Here's what it's all about. 
U.S. District Judge Henry Autry of St. Louis. He said that Republican officials representing six states didn't have standing to challenge the loan forgiveness because they couldn't show they had been harmed by the Biden program. It hadn't been rolled out yet. The judge denied the state's request for a preliminary injunction to stop the program from moving forward, a move that now gave the Biden administration a green light, at least for now, to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars in federal student loans. Now, they've loved using the term canceling student debt, just canceling it. It's almost like putting it out in the street in a pile and setting fire to it. It's gone, it's gone. It's not. If this thing stands, and I honestly believe it's going to end up going all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, it's unconstitutional for a president to cancel any debt. It's money, taxpayer money. Constitutionally, only the United States House of Representatives has that authority, and it's going to end up there. Now, Autry, the judge, he is not a Obama appointee or a, a Biden appointee on that bench. He was appointed by George W. Bush. He didn't rule. The judge didn't know whether the loan forgiveness program was lawful. Got to remember that. You're going to hear all weekend. It was affirmed. It was affirmed. The court affirmed. The student debt thing is going to happen. It's just a temporary pause. Just because this judge, he didn't rule on the lawfulness of the program. Because the states lack standing, the court lacked jurisdiction to even hear the case, he said. There's a quote. While plaintiffs present important and significant challenges to the debt relief plan, the current plaintiffs aren't able to proceed. So here comes the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. And she said this, Republicans are doing everything they can to deny student debt relief, even to their own constituents. This president, he won't stop fighting for these suits and working to help families as they recover from the pandemic. This case involved a challenge by Republican attorneys general in Missouri, Nebraska, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Kansas. This is just the first step in all of this. People are enraged about it. I mean, people all around the nation. I hear it all the time. You go out on the street and you talk to it and they snicker at it. They laugh about it. They're hacked off. It's it's like this. You got a guy. You got a guy. I, have a, I, I had dinner last night, a birthday dinner with our oldest grandchild. He's 23 years old. He decided not to do college. Now, he is a true entrepreneur. He's just like his poppy, me. I was one. I did work for people, but most of my life, I worked for myself. I went out and created a company and built it and brought people in to build it bigger and better. That's how Wyatt is handling things. So what Joe Biden is doing, he's telling a Wyatt a Wyatt, a 23-year-old American that's out there, started a company, a great service company. It's doing a great job already, and it already is successful, and it's going to grow. Why? Because he is offering goods and services to other American entities, and it's something they need. It's something they want, 
and it works when he does it. That is the American dream. Now, what this president wants to do, Wyatt had friends that graduated with him that they did the ordinary thing. They're in college today, many of them. Some of them went and didn't make it, and so they're doing something else. So what Joe Biden is telling Wyatt is, look, Wyatt, you made a decision. I get it. I respect that. But these other people, they're out there chasing the American dream, and it didn't work out for them. And so now they're going to go out and try to get involved in things like you or that process or go to work for a corporation somewhere. They didn't do the college thing successfully, but they've got these tens of thousands of student debt hanging over their heads. So what we're going to tell you is, buddy, pat you on the back and say, you go do a good job. We appreciate it. But by the way, that good job that you're doing, we're going to make you pay a little bit of it for these fellow students that you graduated with that they decided to go borrow a bunch of money and go to college and they flunked out. That's exactly what this is saying to these people. I, I never borrowed any money for college. I did go to college on a full scholarship, but I had other ancillary expenses, and a lot of these student loans include those ancillary expenses. I went to work to cover my ancillary expenses. Anything worth having is worth working for. There's a song out there about that, and my brother wrote it. Anything worth having is worth working for. Not so much in the Biden administration. And of course, it's all about the midterm elections. They know that as of right now, Democrats across the aisle in Congress are getting their butts kicked in two weeks. And they know it, and they're doing everything they can to try to make it work. Buying votes by giving away money. Why is it that so many things come out on a Friday? We told you the other day, an advisory committee, an advisory committee, they told the CDC that we're okay And we want you, CDC, to recommend and approve COVID-19 vaccines for kids. Advisors to the CDC yesterday recommended adding COVID-19 vaccines to the child and adolescent immunization schedules. Those are the things, you know, when you go to a new school district, and you go in to register your child, they'll hand you a card that these are the vaccinations that you've got to have, and you have to bring us proof of vaccination before your child can go here. And through the years, it's been a good thing. Polio, measles, mumps, all those kinds of diseases that back in the 50s and 60s were killing Americans. Those are wonderful things. They work but they are wanting to add COVID-19 vaccines and make that mandatory. Despite one thing, the vaccines are still under emergency authorization for some people. Now, what does that mean? That means they are not approved for nationwide use by the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. This has never been heard of. 
There is no vaccine that has ever been forced on a kid as a requirement before you can go to school. All members, by the way, voted unanimously to add the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the Novavax vaccines to the 2023 schedules. Next school year, if this is approved by the CDC and they put it out there, and it looks like they will, and they'll probably announce it in the next week, if it happens, our kids to get in school in 2023 public schools, they're going to have to have a COVID-19 vaccination. Dr. Matthew Daly, he's one of those advisors. We view this as COVID is here to stay. When I think about the routine immunization schedule as a pediatrician, I think of it as an opportunity to prevent serious disease and death. And if something is added to the schedule, it's because I feel like the benefits continue to strongly outweigh the risk. Now, here's the conundrum. This guy is an expert, Dr. Daly. He's a pediatrician. He knows the likelihood of the kids that he's treating the ones that are under 25 years old are hardly likely at all to get COVID-19. And of course, then the other fallback was, you remember for a couple of years now, oh, but if you don't get a vaccination, you're going to die. But not only that, you're going you're gonna to infect everybody you know, and they're going to die. And then very quietly, we didn't hear it from our CDC. We didn't hear it from our FDA. We hear it from a court in the UK, the number three expert at Pfizer under oath was asked, did you have evidence, did y'all have clinical trials at Pfizer that proved to you that a COVID-19 vaccination would stop the transmission of the vaccine to other people? And she hem-hawed around for a moment and then she said, no. We didn't have any trials that confirmed that. And yet, Joe Biden himself stood in front of cameras over and over again, and he said this, if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to die of COVID-19. And if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to kill other people. And they all lied to us. Every one of the members of this committee voted to voice this on our babies before they can go to school in 2023. Let me just say this. All six of my grandchildren, two of them have graduated. I told you about one, Wyatt. The other one is working too in the marketplace and he's doing a great job. I still have four, four students. All four of them are in private school, a Christian school. How about that? None of them have been vaccinated and none of them have been sick. I think this is a scourge on humanity on the United States. Meanwhile, three more COVID-19 vaccination injuries have met the bar that is set by our government very quietly, confirmed by the CDC. That bar is... People that have these COVID-19 vaccine injuries should be compensated. Six claims lodged with a committee that I didn't even know was out there. The Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, the CICP. 
Six claims have been determined to be eligible for compensation. All the claims relate to COVID-19 vaccines. One is the result of severe allergic shock. The five others are the result of myocarditis, which is a form of heart inflammation. None of the six injured people have been compensated. Officials are reviewing eligible expenses. So due to the invocation of an emergency over the COVID-19 pandemic, COVID-19 vaccine injury claims got to be made to this committee, the CICP, rather than a different program called the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Government bureaucracy. They don't need two committees for this. (laughs) They really don't need one. Just don't make COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory in any case. Certain serious conditions and deaths are covered by this committee, but claims got to be judged by a, a secret panel as having a proven link between the condition or death and the vaccine. Some COVID therapies are also covered. 48 claims have been denied because they did not meet the standard proof of causation bar and or the injury sustained is not covered. As of October 1, some 10,300 claims have been lodged. 70% of them allege injuries from COVID-19 vaccines. So now many more claims are being made, which is, was recreated. This uh, committee was created in the 80s to shield vaccine manufacturers from lawsuits. Now, why would the government even do that? Why would we get in it? These are private companies. If a private company comes up with a product that they put out on the market and they tell us when they put them out on the market, this is good for the American people. When Americans find out it's not good, what happens? They quit using it. And the company, at least with that product, goes away. That's called capitalism. Now, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Novavax, these are all private companies well, they're, they're publicly traded companies, but they're not government entities. Why, oh why, do American taxpayers, every COVID-19 vaccine out there, do you know it's been issued by these companies privately and the federal government went in and what they did was this very little quiet thing. It's called EUA, Emergency Use Authorization. The purpose for that, there's only one purpose. The government is stepping in between any patient that is injured by any COVID-19 vaccine and it's really serious and it can be caused and proven to be caused directly by a COVID-19 vaccine. Everything from, I don't know, having respiratory, severe respiratory problems all the way up to death and there are thousands of those that are tied to the vaccines. And sadly, it's happening around the world in young Americans, Americans that are in their teens, in their early 20s, some in their 30s, that are athletes, they're dropping dead, never been sick, no problems, bam, they go down. You don't hear a lot about it in the news, especially from the U.S. news. We hear about most of it coming from the European 
news agencies. And we get a lot of our news from places like the Daily Mail, the Daily Caller, which are news sources that come from the UK. Why don't we hear about it happening in America? You don't think that it's not happening, do you? No, I don't think. I know it's happening. It's being covered up. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen. COVID-19 is proven. The vaccinations are deadly in many people's cases, more so than any other vaccine that's ever been created. We did a story. In fact, when we go to break, I'm going to pull it up. It has a list of every medication that the FDA, after they approved it and put it out, adverse reactions to that caused them to pull it off of the market. And I'm going to find it, come back here, and give you the stats. But what it says is COVID-19 is hurting Americans, sometimes killing Americans, in rates that are unbelievably more than what was going on in the lives of Americans when the FDA pulled those vaccines off the market. Yeah, just sit tight during this break. I'm going to go grab it. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Do you mind? I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take Take care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. remember those songs? Those songs always had a message. <laughs> we, 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 we may have some messages in some of the songs that we, uh, we get released today, but it's nothing like it was back in the 60s and 70s. And you know, my dad used to, back then, when I got in radio when I was 15 years old, and I was playing evil stuff, you know, like Earth, Wind, and Fire and uh, The Beatles, my dad would say, oh my gosh, you guys don't know what good music is. We had really good music. 
it was back in the 40s and the 50s. I guess it's a generational thing. You know, we all don't like our parents' stuff, especially music, and ours is way better than theirs. That's what we said when I was in my teens. And then, of course, now my grandchildren look at me and say, oh, my. And, and my daughters, Kimby and Corey, my favorite style of music is smooth jazz. And when they come around and we've got it playing in the house or they get in the car and I've got it on watercolors on uh, on satellite, XM, they call it elevator music. <laughs> What's wrong with getting on an elevator and having some good smooth jazz? I worked at WTPI in Indianapolis, the only time we lived out of Louisiana to do work, moving somewhere for work. I did the afternoon drive time. And it was a, uh, a smooth jazz station. And it was one of, I think it was always in the top two or three rated in Indianapolis in adults 25 to 54. And I loved it. And one of the things, one of the little coming out of a commercial going into a song, you know, the DJ will always say something going into it. And one of the things that I said, and our kids pick at me every once in a while, but it would come out. And I would say, hey, thanks for coming all the way up to the soft side of FM radio, 107.9 WTPI. And you know, with the voice, it was like, oh, smooth jazz. It was, and I like it. Things are a little bit different now. I like a lot of the new music that's out there, the ones where you can hear the words and the words aren't profane. There's a lot of that. Now, what, 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 where'd I go? I went back and grabbed this story. It's a story, and it's not from any, it's from a not-for-profit institution that what they do is monitor FDA-approved prescription drugs that are later pulled from the market. And I'm not going to give them all to you, but what I'm going to do is tell you some of them, a few of them, the date of approval, the date of removal, and the cause for recall. The first one, the top one, Baycall. And it was marketed as Servostatin. It was approved in 1998, and it was removed August of 2001. The reason? Breakdown of muscle fibers that results in myoglobin being released into the bloodstream, which led to kidney failure. Drug caused 52 deaths worldwide, 385 non-fatal cases. And then there is Larcaserin. Approved in 2012, pulled from the market in 2020. It was used for weight loss. It was pulled because of cancer risk. It's interesting. We don't have the number of injuries or deaths. Bextra, date of approval, November 2001, pulled off of the market April of 2005 because it caused serious cardiovascular adverse events like death, MI and stroke, increased risk of serious skin reactions like toxic epidermal necrolysis, Stevens-Johnson syndrome. The FDA determined the company showed no advantage over other pain relievers. Cyclert, 1975 approved, removed in 2010, calls for recall liver toxicity. Darvone and Darvacet, you remember these. These were approved. They were heavy-duty pain relievers, and they were opioid. Approved in 1955. It was on the market all the way till November of 2010. 
The reason it was recalled, serious toxicity to the heart between 1981 and 1999, 2,110 deaths. Finformin, it was an anti-diabetic. It was recalled for lactic acidosis. And let me find some of these that have, uh, here's one. This drug was proved in 1940, bestrol. 1940 approved, removed in 1971. The reason for the recall, cancer of the cervix and vagina, birth defects, other developmental or abnormalities in children born to women who took the drug while pregnant, increased risk of breast cancer, higher risk of death from breast cancer, risk of cancer in kids and mothers taking the drug, including raised risk of breast cancer after age 40. I mean, this stuff is pretty serious. But are you hearing something? Not a lot of deaths involved in the removal of these. Duract, July 1997 approved. Date of removal, June 26, 98. Cause for recall, four deaths. Four deaths. Let me, I'm, I'm just scanning down at this list. Here's one, Lotronics. For irritable bowel syndrome, IBS in women. Recall for 49 cases of ischemic colitis, 21 cases of severe constipation, five deaths, five deaths. Many of these don't even have any reasons for being recalled that include deaths. And obviously, right, here's one, Omniflox. It was an antibiotic for pneumonia, bronchitis, and other respiratory tract infections. And it was recalled because of three deaths. Now, let's look at COVID-19, the VAERS COVID-19 Adverse Events Report, published every week by the CDC. This is as of October the 7th. Now, these are only of the voluntary reports that are sent to the CDC from doctors around the nation. And even the CDC recommends that if you want to kind of come up with a real number based upon this, which they know is only a sample of the illnesses and deaths in these various classifications, they said the reports they publish are about 10% of the real numbers. So what numbers? were reported to the CDC for deaths and injuries to Americans from adverse reactions to the vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines. 31,470 deaths. Multiply that times 10. 180,382 hospitalizations. 136,000 urgent care cases. 208,000 unexplained doctor visits, 10,000 anaphylaxis cases, 16,000 cases of Bell's palsy, 5,100 miscarriages, 17,000 heart attacks, 53,000 confirmed cases of myocarditis, 58,000 cases of people that are permanently disabled, 9,100 thrombocytopenia low platelets, 35,000 light-threatening other reactions, 45,000 severe allergic reactions, and 15,000 cases of shingles. 
Now, you put that in the context of what the FDA has done, making other drugs be pulled from the market. And the most deaths that I saw, the reason for it was one case, one drug was 311 deaths over like 10 years. 31,470 deaths have already been confirmed by doctors to be caused by COVID vaccines. And the CDC says, of all these reports that come in for these various adverse reactions on every drug, you can always figure the real number is 10 times higher. So based upon the CDC's uh, knowledge, history of understanding of what drugs do to people sometimes, they think the actual death number from adverse reactions to COVID-19 vaccines, 300,000 plus. Not only are they not even thinking about pulling them off the market, they're now encouraging moms and dads, you got to give your kids these vaccines, and if you don't, they can't go to school next year. You can't get in school in 2023 if you don't have a vaccination card proving you've had a COVID-19 vaccine. This is the United States of America. This is not some third world African nation where disease is all over the place. It's not. This is also a country that is governed by the people and the government is of the people. In other words, we make the laws. We make the structure in which we all voluntarily live. Not the government. Not the CDC, which is a government agency. Not the FDA, which is a government agency. The people. We have government of, by, and for the people. Not for big pharma. Not for politicians. I'm just telling you the truth. That's the way it is. But we, the people, are sitting down and we're listening to these people tell us what's right, what's wrong, and what you're going to do. Because we tell you this is what you're going to do. Not because it's what's best for the people. And it's certainly not what the people want. Wow. Got a sermon. Preached a sermon. You got that for nothing. Let's move on. There are so many points that we have to talk about. The least of which is not our economic conditions. Experts are saying this morning, the next recession in the United States will likely begin in the very near future. And there are economic experts that now are saying, they're, I guess they're saying it quietly, and they're not shouting it, but they're saying, we're already in a recession. The conference board, uh, let's see, the conference board of the, uh, this is the people that published the leading economic index. That index fell by 0.4% in September, down to 115.9. It remained unchanged in August, and that fall again is what leads a lot of economists to say, it's certainly imminent, it's going to happen, and it looks like it might already be going on. We'll know at the end of the next month. Oh, by the way, what they're saying is we won't know for sure until after the midterm, so y'all vote for Biden folks. You vote for Democrats. Why? Well, because they're Democrats. (laughs) And Democrats certainly 
know better than anybody else what's good for the American people and what is and what isn't. Now, this strategic petroleum reserves thing, this is really becoming a hot potato. What is that all about? Well, it's always been a big trove of oil. It's stored around the nation, and the U.S. government owns the oil. It's in the ground, and they bring it out when different areas of the nation have the shortage of oil, really bad shortages because of natural disasters. California, it's forest fires and earthquakes. Of course, in the Gulf Coast and on the East Coast, we have hurricanes. Middle America has tornadoes. When these areas are just blown to pieces by these natural disasters, they need a way to be able to have energy, and actually more energy than they normally do. Federal government, Big Brother's always standing there to help us out. Yesterday's broadcast of the Fox Business Network's Cudlow, Senator John Hoven, who's from North Dakota, he's a Republican, what he said was the only way President Biden is going to be able to refuel this petroleum reserve is if the country goes into a recession. He pointed to legislation that he put forward during the Trump administration to fill up our reserve when oil prices We're at $24 a barrel. Do you realize that? Do you know that oil was almost $100 a barrel cheaper under the Trump administration than it is under Joe Biden's? Hovind said, and of course now he's saying, oh well, Joe is saying this, he'll buy it back cheaper. Well, he could have it cheaper, but he won't produce more supply now The only chance because of that that he has to buy it back cheaper is if we go into a recession. And you've seen economists now that are talking about potentially in the first and second quarter of next year having negative GDP growth. Many are saying we're in it now. So that hurts. So you not only have Americans getting hurt with inflation, higher gas prices at the pump, higher prices for everything, energy being a big part of it, then you also put the country into a recession. That hurts them again. That's not a solution to get lower oil prices or energy prices. The solution is more production here at home. That's common sense. That may be why we're not doing it. Because we don't have a lot of common sense in government. Let me give you another example of that. I guess you heard there's big holes in the partially built, constructed Trump border wall, southern Arizona has a bunch of those holes. And I don't understand it. I know there was a reason for it. They would build the big section of it, maybe miles and miles, and then there's an opening of maybe a mile, half a mile, and then some more border wall. I think it has to do with the geography, and they wait for specific types of wall to come in for those areas. I'm not sure, but I think that's the case. Well, Arizona's Governor Ducey, he watches all this happen, and what do those illegals do in the, in the dark of night, many times just in the daytime? They're going to walk through those holes. So he got innovative. Of course, he's the governor of Arizona, has a big, long border with Mexico, and it's an open door into Arizona because there's no border wall there. 
They asked the federal government to do something. The federal government said they were going to do something, but they weren't going to build the wall. They haven't done anything else. So Ducey came up with a very innovative idea. He got some of these big crates, you know, the big commercial transfer things that you see them on the back of 18-wheelers. They come off of rail cars. They're really big and long, and they're all metal. He got a bunch of them, and in these gaps at his southern border, he put them end to end and stacked two on top of each other. And on top of that, now this is in between the different sections of the border wall on his border that are there. The Trump border wall. In between, he put these cargo crates. And on top of that, he put razor wire to keep these people out. Well, the Department of Interior sent him a letter. And they said, buddy, you can't do that. Here are the details. Right, we head to the southern border now, where Arizona officials are refusing to take down shipping containers staffed along the border, even though the Biden administration is demanding they be removed. News Nation's Marky Martin joins us live. So, Marky, this is just the latest feud in this ongoing border battle. Nicole, Arizona is defying the federal government. Essentially, you have state leaders who are saying, hey, we'll take down these shipping containers when you come in and do something about the border. So for now, in the meantime, more than 100 of these double stacked containers stay in place and stand guard. Arizona is saying no to the Biden administration's demand to take down the state's makeshift wall. The federal government's refusal to action means that we must. Over the summer, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey ordered the installation of more than 100 shipping containers to fill the gaps in the Trump-era wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Last week, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation sent a letter to the state saying the containers violated U.S. law and were not approved to be placed on federal land, including more than 40 they claim were placed on tribal land. But Arizona leaders aren't conceding. Their response obtained by News Nation, writing back in part this, the myriad of federal agencies that claim jurisdiction on the southern border but do nothing to prevent the public nuisance caused by illegal immigration and criminal activity that exploits the open border is quite frustrating. Riddle me this, you know, if the federal government is demanding that these shipping containers be taken down, Arizona is saying no. I mean, legally, how does this play out? Border enforcement is a federal issue, period, the end. So if the state won't comply with federal demands or requests, the next step is going to be litigation. In a former interview with News Nation, Yuma County Supervisor Jonathan Lines said the people of Arizona had demanded the move to protect state borders. It's the drugs and the bad actors who are coming across the border, and we need to give Border Patrol the tools so that they can continue to secure the border and provide security for the nation. About six weeks after 130 containers were set up, migrants crossings started to drop in places, but the numbers are still staggering. According to Yuma's chief patrol agent, just last week, more than 5,000 migrants from 38 different countries were arrested in that sector, and agents encountered almost 200 unaccompanied children. 
And Nicole, uh, Border Patrol from the Yuma sector there in Arizona called me today and said, hey, we have to turn down any sort of interview. I don't know if you've heard, but in a couple of weeks, there are major elections happening across the country. We do not want to get uh, in the middle of this right now because essentially they said we're stuck in between a competition of state versus federal. And I said, can you at least answer, is this uh, an awkward place for your agents to be in? And that representative said, yes, we're in a very weird spot right now. The only thing that we can do day in and day out 24-7 now is do our job. Here's the issue with Governor Ducey doing this and the feds coming in and at President Biden's behest, the Department of Interior's, uh, they sent a letter telling Arizona, you can't do that. Take that fake southern wall down because it's illegal for the state of Arizona to do that. Now, here is the irony in this. Why did Ducey do it? It's because the federal government won't do what its right is to do, which is to protect the southern border, to keep immigrants from coming in. That's the job, constitutionally, that belongs to the United States federal government. They're using the law, they being the Department of Interior, Joe Biden, sending a letter to Arizona saying, you can't do that because it's illegal. Why are they doing it? Because the federal government won't do what it's supposed to do legally. There are very, very detailed laws regarding illegal immigration and the responsibility of the federal government to follow those laws, which include immediately taking anybody that comes across the border illegally and deporting them. Now, there are a couple of caveats. They can file a claim for asylum based upon specific things that justify their leaving their country and coming here. But it's very simple. We have and had for generations had those laws in place and when illegals checked in legally coming across and going directly to a court and making their asylum claim and they're adjudicated by these judges, these courts along the southern border, that's all legal. This administration refuses to execute the law. And yet at the same time, they're sending a letter to the governor that is taking actions to keep his people safe for one reason and one reason only. He has to because the federal government won't do it. Do you think this is going to go to court? And if it does, what's the court going to (laughs) say? What are they going to do? This is another issue. There'll be forum shopping. will be these federal attorneys that will represent the government against the state of Arizona, and they're going to forum shop to find a, a court in which to have the litigation, and you can bet your bippy it won't be at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals down in New Orleans because those people understand the horrors of illegals flooding in southern border states. The criminality is rampant in one two-year period in Texas alone. 600,000 felony acts were perpetrated by illegals on just the citizens of Texas. And every one of those people that perpetrated one of those crimes came across the southern border illegally, breaking the law, and the government did nothing to protect 
the people of the United States against it, and it's still not happening. If you don't have borders, you don't have a country. Did you, you heard that? It doesn't matter what the law says, how many laws you have. If you don't have borders, you don't have a country. We have borders and we have laws in place that people like Joe Biden passed, passed laws, went through the House, went through the Senate, goes to the sitting president who signed them into law. Joe Biden was part of crafting those laws. And today he's thumbing his nose at the rule of law and the laws that he passed. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well-suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. I don't care who you are. (laughs) That's a funny commercial. You ever listen to them? There's some really funny ones. One of my favorite commercials is that uh, that one for Siri. You know the commercial. We play it every once in a while here. It's about a, it's a fake commercial, but it's funny as heck. They got this comedian and uh, he's talking about a old folks Siri. And it is hilarious. I tell you what I'm going to do, even though we're not supposed to do it. Uh, I'm going to pull it out before the show's over. We got two more breaks coming in the show before we finish the show today. For those of you that didn't hear it, I'm going to play it for you. It's funny. It's Friday. Come on, let's have a good time. Looking ahead, what's coming next week so you can make sure that you're 
Put it on your calendar so you don't miss it. Monday morning, 10 o'clock Central Time, Congressman Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District, is going to be with us. He's giving me all the time we need were his words. And I'm going to talk to him specifically about two things. One, what his expectations are now that we're getting, actually when we talk to him, we'll be one day shy of two weeks from the midterm elections and get his fix on those. I mean, he's in Congress. He's uh, in leadership in the uh, Republican Party. He's like number four in leadership in the party. And uh, he's got an eye on things, and he sees a lot of stuff that you and I don't see and we don't hear about. And he's promised to pull the shutters back and let us look in and see what the Republican uh, committee is seeing about the midterm elections. That's number one. Number two, we're going to talk about the illegality going on massively around the country. And I'm not talking about on the streets of our cities. I'm talking about what the FBI is doing. They are weaponizing the Biden administration against conservatives. And they're storming people's houses in the middle of the night, arresting them, hauling them off to jail. And they're doing it in SWAT-type formation. And there's one story we're going to talk about, actually a media person, that that happened to him and his family in months ago. And he hasn't been seen since. I wonder if it's kind of like what happened in Washington, D.C. in the aftermath of January 6th. There are people that are still in jail from then that haven't been tried. And in many cases, their families aren't allowed to see them. They get to see their attorneys one time a week, and that's it. They get to see sunlight one hour a day. Wow. So we'll have Congressman Johnson on for that. Then on Tuesday, Steve Baker, I talked about the January 6th stuff. There is a trial underway right now of five of the Oath Keepers, those evil insurrectionists that supposedly came to D.C. armed to the teeth. They were going to take people out. They knew that was going to happen, did the FBI, because they were hearing things on the Internet, and everything you hear on the Internet is true, right? Not one gun came with the Oath Keepers. Not one gun. And yet they were going to storm the Capitol and overthrow the government. (laughs) And they didn't have one gun. That's just one piece of it. Steve Baker will be here. The the actual hearings, uh, the trial is ongoing. He will step out of that trial and speak to us again, 10 o'clock, top of our second hour on Tuesday morning. Wednesday morning, Dunstan Tao, T-E-O, He is probably the most celebrated cryptocurrency expert on the planet. He's a multi-billionaire. He's been very successful. He's a great Christian guy. We had him on last week, and he talked about cryptocurrency in general. He is one of the co-founders of a new cryptocurrency that has a lot of differences from the others. This one that he founded, co-founded, is Philcoin. P-H-I-L-C-O-I-N. And it was founded, and there was a lot of uh, experimentation before it was released to the general public about things they want to make it do and things that it's already doing that are different from other cryptocurrencies. I asked him to come back and explain to all of us what's the difference between Philcoin and other cryptocurrencies. He'll be here on Wednesday at the same time. 
10 a.m. He's a great guy. He is originally from, um, I just went blank, uh, Southeast Asia, Singapore. He lived there, and uh, he, he established his businesses there, his companies, and he stayed there and intended to stay there forever. One day he gets a call from the Singapore bank to tell him that they had reached out and grabbed $200 million of his company's money that morning, and it was gone. They seized it. And within days, he moved his entire operation from Singapore to Dubai. And last week, Dunstan Teo, when we had him on our show, the, the week before, he had moved his family to Orlando, Florida. So he's here in the U.S. It's a lot easier for him to get around in the country, obviously. It's kind of, you, you can't go from Dubai to Orlando and have a meeting and then go home that night. It just doesn't work. So anyway, he's going to be with us Wednesday. We had a surprise guest that was going to be here this morning. I told you that. I never told you who it was. And the scheduling didn't work out. I'm very hat in hand, called and said, there's no way I can do it. I said, we understand things happen. Many things happen that are out of our control. And so he'll be coming back. It won't be in the next week or two, but I'm going to tease you when it's scheduled for him to come back. And I, I, I just told you, I said, when he, I was trying to keep hidden if it was male or female. In fact, maybe I don't have the right to say it's a he. I haven't asked him which pronoun he prefers. <laughs> you got to be politically correct, especially when you're in media, right? So there's a lot of things on on the, on the plate now. And we just in two hours, we can't do an effective job keeping you informed about things that are going on. But we have somebody that has a, a really good way to explain and without getting ugly or without getting real deep into the, uh, the matter, has a really good way of pulling out the important things and things that are going on, the important details that explain to us best What's going on? Now, a trillion dollars that Joe Biden spent, of the four trillion he has spent since he's been president, did you realize that? Four trillion. Four trillion dollars. And he's throwing money around. He's throwing trillion dollar bills around like it's pocket change. It's no big deal for him. Anyway, his first big one, that we were supposed to see the results of immediately. They told us all, you're going to see in the next few weeks, you're going to see the, it's the infrastructure bill. We're going to have high-speed internet in zip codes that have never even thought about the internet. We're going to fix all the roads. Oh, we're going to fix the bridges. It's going to be amazing what we're going to do. The infrastructure bill, it's a year. Its anniversary is right now. What are the great things that have happened from the infrastructure bill? You can't brag about a victory that hasn't happened. And you can't hype up a bill that hasn't done a darn thing yet, unless you're Joe Biden. Today, our commander in chief was taking a victory lap over his massive infrastructure spending bill. Bipartisan infrastructure law that I signed, and it was a once in a generation investment in our nation's roads, bridges, railroads, ports, airports water systems, and high-speed internet. I really mean it. This is like a new industrial revolution. Primetime launched an investigation into Joe Biden's new industrial revolution. A trillion dollars 
and a year later, and Biden's broken ground on one project, a heated sidewalk in a small New Hampshire town. And the project's not even close to finished, and it won't be before winter. The city of Berlin, New Hampshire, has a 17% poverty rate, but the White House figured they could use a $20 million heated sidewalk. And surprise, surprise, the city residents didn't want it. What's the worst part about living here? The worst part about living here is, is probably just our isolation from like any major stores. The 45 minute drive to everything. You know, there's a lot of people in the street here. You know, there's a lot of drugs. There's just nothing here. How does it feel to not only be first in the primaries, but the first in the country to get Joe Biden's heated sidewalks? <laughs> Honestly, I think that that's kind of a waste of money. We do not need heated sidewalks on Main Street. There's hardly any stores there. The money could probably be used toward something more beneficial. It's the stupidest thing they ever came out with. They put heated sidewalks in at the Big Apple and it ices over and people get injured. How much do you think these heated sidewalks and roads are going to cost? Oh, I'm sure a fortune. $20 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. We could rebuild this whole city with that money. $20 million? Yeah. Wow. Why do you think they're doing it? You know, from my 32 years of experience, uh, this is what I think, you know, all, some of that money is going into some of their pockets. Was it a community decision? No, I don't think it was a community decision. Would you say heated sidewalks have been high on your priority list? <laughs> no, no, they haven't actually. <laughs> no. No, that's probably the last thing I think about. Hey, it's truly a waste of money. Honestly, it feels a little embarrassing that we got all that money and that's what we're putting it toward. If you were the mayor and Joe Biden gave you $20 million, what would you do with it here? Oh, I'd fix up all the abandoned houses. I'd make more treatment centers, more rehabs. Is there a big drug problem here, you think? Huge drug problem, yeah. We need affordable housing. We get all these four-wheelers that come up here. We don't have one hotel. I'd uh, have a homeless shelter for the people. Programs for people that are on, that are addicted to things. I mean, there's a lot of that going on around here. We have a lot of like drug addicts that live in the woods and stuff here. And it gets below zero all the time. Maybe focus on helping the people. Maybe it's 30 people that live in the woods that are addicted to drugs. I guess then the homeless people are going to be able to sleep on the sidewalks as well because we got a lot of them. And I guess they have a nice place to stay warm now, huh? Primetime is going to be doing a series on Joe Biden's infrastructure projects because someone has to follow where the money's going. Joe has not built a single electric car charging station in two years, not a single one. But he's drained our oil reserves. Biden can't make, but he knows how to take, doesn't he? But that's the Biden administration's beat. Remember, never underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. Here he is today raiding the rainy day fund. The Department of Energy will release another 15 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Drawdowns on the reserves so far have played a big role in bringing down oil prices, bringing them down. Joe just told us there was a high chance of nuclear Armageddon. That kind of sounds like the type of emergency you might want to save up for, not Democrats losing the Senate. The rest of the press conference, Joe wasted yelling at OPEC, American energy people and guys that own gas stations. Our very own stupid son of a bitch, Peter Ducey, asked the White House, what's the strategy? What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. 
We wanted to show you the rest of her answer, but she didn't make any sense. But then about a minute later, the baguette lover says she's considering banning American oil. How seriously is the administration considering a ban on um, U.S. petroleum products? So um, everything is on the table. (laughs) Did you catch that? The Biden administration is considering banning U.S. petroleum products? I'm going to assume that the French souffle doesn't know what she's talking about and she doesn't know what a petroleum product is. Corinne Jean-Pierre is wearing petroleum products. There's petroleum in her blouse buttons, her high heels, her makeup. But don't worry, Joe's going to restock the reserves when the price dips down to $70 a barrel. But they blocked Trump when he wanted to restock when oil was $24 a barrel. So Joe's draining the stockpile just like he drained the PPE stockpile. Remember? Just like he's draining our weapons stockpile. The cupboards are going to be bare. But don't worry. Biden's going to sell taxpayer oil to the Chinese, the companies with the Hunter connection, and then use the revenues to buy guns for IRS agents. See how this works? American energy companies don't get to drill, create jobs and make money. The Biden administration just does business directly with the Chicoms to prop up Democrats before the midterms. But don't worry. Joe says this has nothing to do with politics. Is it politically motivated, sir, this no, it's three not. weeks We're, before the midterms? Look, it makes sense. I've been doing this for how long now? It's not politically motivated at all. It's motivated to make sure that I continue to push on what I've been pushing on. It's not political because I've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Jesse Waters has a, a real way, a really good way of uh, paraphrasing things like, what you just heard. I guess, I guess when he's talking, everybody, I included, we all talk about important things when we're on the air. Everybody has their own different way on different shtick. His I'll call succinct. When he does a segment like you just heard on several things, it's always very succinct. It's kind of simple, but it gets the points across. I don't understand when more why more Americans, especially our Democrat brothers and sisters, why they don't get these things and why they allow them to continue to happen. It's extremely expensive. And of course, members of Congress, they don't think they pay anything for it, but they're the ones making all the decisions. They pay just like we do, but they're in a position to enhance their abilities to pay where you and I don't have that opportunity. So we just got to go with everything that they tell us. Kind of like this student loan thing, forgiveness. It's not forgiveness. It's removing the liability from those who made the loans. Nobody made them make these loans. They decided to do it to go to school, and they didn't have the money. And here they are, you know, in their 30s and 40s, and they're doing the wah, wah, because the economy is bad, inflation's bad, interest rates are going up, and we don't have the money. Please, somebody pay it for us. And Uncle Joe, he says, ooh, 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 let me, let me, let me pay your student loan. Well, he's not paying the loan. You and I are. People that decided they didn't have the money They couldn't go to college, so they went to trade school. Novel idea. Some people coming out of of, uh, high school now, they need to look at what you learn when you go to community college. I talked weeks ago. 
I met and I talked to a young man in his late 20s that he did just that. And he learned to be a welder. And he's making $80,000 a year as a welder. Now that may not have the gorgeous feeling and sense of being somebody working on Wall Street. But you know what? He doesn't have any student debt. He went to community college, which is, I mean, just little bitty percentages of the cost of going to university. But that's okay. They make the choices to do it, to borrow the money, to go to those colleges. Do you know what it costs to go to Baylor University for a year right now? $80,000 a year. Now, it's a private university, I understand. But who in the heck can justify for an 18-year-old kid to invest $80,000 a year? That's $300,000 plus to get a four-year degree at Baylor University? I mean, I just don't get it. And there are students out there that do just that. They go to Baylor. Other schools just like it, even going to some state colleges. And they rack up these hundreds of thousands of debt. Let me tell you who the guilty parties are in this. And these are the people that should go on the hook for that. The universities themselves, through the last decade plus, what has happened as the federal government stepped in, Joe and Barack, they're the ones that stepped in and they took over the student loan industry, the whole thing. They took it away from the private sector. And they said, the American people, the American government, we need to take over that. We're going to manage it. We're going to do it better. We're not going to stick these students like these evil private corporations are doing, these banks. And so they took it over. They didn't manage it. Meanwhile, what happens? Ho, ho, ho. Federal government, they step in. They're going to be the ones that pay the bills. So let's raise our rates. Let's raise our tuition. Let's raise all our fees. And they didn't just raise them, folks. They sent them through the roof. And it's because of what Barack and Joe did that we're facing this. And when they did it years ago, when they did it, I said, you watch. We're going to end up, the taxpayers are going to be the ones that have to pay those student loans because they're going to come to us and say, look, we can't, these kids can't pay these bills. There's no way they can do that. We owe it. We owe it to Americans that we need to pick up the tab. Well, that's not what they say. They just say, forgive the student debt, which it's not forgiveness. It's transferring the obligation from the people that made the loans and got the money and can't or don't pay it back to people like you and me. Enough with that. Have you noticed somebody in government that has just disappeared over the last year? Think for a minute. Somebody that was always in the news. Four years of Donald Trump. This person was out there front and center every day. I mean, we played sound bites of him every day almost for four years. Representative Adam Schiff from California. 
I wonder why he's not out there. He's on that January 6th committee, and he's in management. He's in leadership on it. You don't hear him or see him when any of the conferences, the press conferences, or the releases are happening. They're not even getting him in the mix. There's something sinister going on behind the scenes. We're going to watch it, but he did he did come out with a hoax that they perpetrated in the 2020 election, and pretty pretty much calling it naming the hoax what it really was, the mailbox hoax, the mailbox hoax. It was the claim that the Trump administration was removing mailboxes ahead of the 2020 vote to stop people from using new vote-by-mail methods that Democrats hope to use to turn out their own voters. Here's what the news reports explain. Democrats have spent several days flogging the false mailbox conspiracy theory that President Donald Trump is deliberately crippling the U.S. Postal Service so that it cannot handle votes by mail in November, even forcing it to remove mailboxes. The truth is, and of course that's the problem, Adam Schiff, he never, he can't see the, the, the truth if it slapped him in the face. The truth is, that the mailboxes were removed because mailboxes are always being removed. At least 14,000 were removed during the Obama-Biden administration. Democrats are creating a new hysteria to cast Trump as a tyrant and to motivate their conspiracy theory-addled voters. Former Vice President Joe Biden has enthusiastically inflamed this phony conspiracy theory by saying, the removal of mailboxes has been halted until after the election to avoid further confusion sown deliberately by Democrats in the media. So guess what happened with Adam Schiff? He sent a mass email yesterday asking recipients of those emails to add their names to a petition to demand the removal of U.S. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy this email campaign, is a, it's a common tactic that it's used by political organizations all the time to build contact lists and to fundraise. <laughs> in this mass email shift, he cites a two-week-old court decision in which a judge found that changes DeJoy made within the U.S. Postal Service affected mail delivery during the 2020 election and barred DeJoy from making similar interventions this year. But Schiff even goes further. He implied that the judge found that Joy had interfered in the election and had done so for political reasons. Here's what Schiff said. We've long known that DeJoy's conflicts of interest and his loyalty to the GOP partisans made him unfit to serve as Postmaster General. Now a federal judge has ruled that his leadership directly impacted our voting rights. Well, Adam Schiff listened to Truth News Network. In fact, as CNN noted in a report two weeks ago, the judge, Emmett Sullivan, you've heard that name before, Emmett Sullivan, hardly a friend of the Trump administration, found that DeJoy had not violated federal election law. Schiff sends out an email yesterday to thousands, tens of thousands 
Americans saying that DeJoy had personally, and that the court had found that DeJoy personally had violated federal election law. But the real thing, the changes to postal delivery and administration had an effect on the election indirectly because of the timing of the changes and the sudden widespread adoption of mass vote by mail. It wasn't the post office boxes, the mailboxes. It was that Democrats put this mail by thing, mail by uh, a mail-in ballot they put it in place so quickly and didn't give the federal government, didn't get the post office plenty of time to be able to figure out how and where and when. You know the post office moves like snails anyway. Ironically, after Democrats created this mailbox host, which followed on the heels of the Russia collusion hoax, they accused the Republican Party and Trump supporters in particular of fomenting conspiracy theories about voting in the 2020 presidential election. They don't want anybody to look at them and what they just did and what they did in 2020 and Schiff's doing it again. It's a mailbox hoax. What have we always told you? Here at TNN Live, when somebody's screaming and hollering and waving their arms about something and blaming somebody else, a Republican, it's always Democrats that do this. But here's Adam Schiff screaming, hollering again, sending out a mass email, and he's waving his arms and, oh, you got to do this. You got to get rid of that postmaster general because he's breaking federal election law. And Judge Emmett Sullivan confirmed that in court. It's a bald-faced lie. It didn't happen. And there's always something that's hidden in the other hand behind their back. They're doing it themselves. That's pretty much their modus operandi. In everything, when you hear them screaming and hollering, blaming somebody for doing something, those evil Republicans, you can bet your bippy, they're already doing it. Maybe somewhere else, maybe in a different fashion. But what they accuse me and you of doing, they're already doing themselves. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. And good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. 
So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Dadgummit, I can't find that Amazon Echo spot that I was going to play for you. It wasn't on the schedule to be played, and we're supposed to do it by, you know, abide by the rules. I'll find it on Monday. We'll find a spot to put it in. You will laugh your butt off. James Posey, one of our real loyal followers and a longtime good friend. It's so funny. He asked me, begged me to send it to him, and I did. And uh, (laughs) it really is funny. People that I play it for. They just can't believe. And it's a real commercial. It's a two-minute commercial, which is very unusual today. You don't see commercials like that. You just really don't. Well, we've got this voting thing coming up. Have you heard anybody, everybody, every Democrat in these key states where there are these key Senate races that are ahead, places like Arizona, Pennsylvania, where are the other ones? Uh, Arizona, Pennsylvania, oh, Nevada, Laxalt. These um, Republican Senate candidates, in most cases, they're creeping up. They're, They're getting the awards of support that is coming from Democrats in election season. They're actually looking into the facts about those Democrat candidates and the incumbents in the Senate that are up for election and they're comparing them to what's going on in their Republican counterparts in those states that I mentioned and others. And they got to find ways, the Democrats do, because the substance of what they're saying they're going to do for the American people, and in many cases, their incumbents that they promised they're going to do better, give me another chance. I'll do better next time. I'll do this and this and this instead of this and this and this. American people aren't buying it. And the polls are showing very steadily that the Americans are seeing through the lies. One of the biggest places where this is evident is in Atlanta and the rest of Georgia. Former NFL running back Herschel Walker. He's running against incumbent Raphael Warnock, who's actually the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. It's the nation's most famous African-American church. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. And Herschel Walker, he's challenging, uh, he is challenging Raphael Warnock at every level because Warnock, he's only been a senator for two years, but he's got a record and it's not good. So what happens when that kind of comes up when there's real substance in a political debate. Democrats, they go to the ground and they start finding ways to attack those opponents. And in Georgia, the number one playing card they have as Democrats is to scream about the restrictive, oppressive Jim Crow Republican passed election law that was passed in the aftermath of the 2020 election. And everybody is screaming, this is a restrictive, racist law to prevent African-American people and other people of color. It, it gives them a harder time 
to be able to vote. Dave Rubin, one of my favorite commentators, he lives in Florida. He knows all about Florida. He knows about uh, the pontification of anti-Republicans and anti-Republican theories and philosophies in Florida. And the the go-to card, the one they all play, is the race card. Ruben weighed in on it yesterday. And I thought what he had to say, well, actually, he let some people tell the story himself, but he's right on. You want to hear Dave Rubin? Here he is. CNN even covered the uh, restrictive voting law that uh, is going on in Georgia that no one can figure out uh, while telling us that they're getting record turnout. It is the first major election in Georgia under a restrictive new voting law. But that's not stopping record numbers of people from casting their ballots early. I can see how people have brain damage if you watch CNN too long, right? Like if you watch MSNBC, you're just completely insane. And that's why I always call it the televised mental institution. But do you get what they're doing on CNN? On one hand, they're telling you there's record turnout. All sorts of people showing up and voting. Nobody's being turned away. But now the restrictive voting laws... I think it includes something like having an ID, saying who you are, that sort of thing. Endless, drivelous nonsense. But that's corporate media running cover for the Democrats. So if the result isn't what they want, we'll roll into four years of, oh, you are allowed to question the results of the elections because we got Republicans in charge and they obviously are the bad guys. So we better question results, of course. Uh, here's a tweet from Molly Hemingway, uh, who I met a couple weeks ago at an event in Florida. Uh, she was talking about what's going on here in Florida, and she wrote interesting answers from both. Democrat Demings, Val Demings, who's running here in Florida for Senate against Marco Rubio. Democrat Demings doesn't say whether she will accept election results. Republican Rubio says he will accept election results because of Florida's great election laws. So even think about this. Here in Florida, there is nobody. I have not heard, and I'm, I'm out there, okay? I'm out there in Florida. I have not heard anyone saying we are having any issues with voting. Uh, we have an extremely secure system. DeSantis has, has done everything possible to make sure that all of the people in Southwest Florida will be able to vote despite uh, all the wreckage that they're still trying to fix up from the hurricane. Like there's no, there is no uh, feeling of, oh, there's shenanigans going on here in Florida. So Rubio is coming out, coming out right now and saying, hey, we're good to go. If, if I lose, I lose. If I win, I win. We are good to go because I trust the system. Demings, who is not going to win, by the way, but she can now, they can just seed the craziness with the Democrats. Well, I don't know. She has no evidence, no reason to think there's, someone send me something. Someone, if someone can find some story somewhere about how Florida is hiding votes and is stopping black people from voting and all of the stuff. Please, I'll gladly cover it tomorrow. Would you do that for me? It's all about last-minute frenzy on the part of the Democrat candidates that are seeing their um, majority in the House and their 50-50 split in the U.S. Senate. They see it leaking away. And it's leaking away because the truth is coming out and they can't handle the truth. They're being exposed. Now, we were talking about Georgia. Guess what came out this morning? Herschel Walker leads Raphael Warnock, the incumbent center in that race in Atlanta, in Georgia. Herschel leads Warnock among Hispanic likely voters by 6.3%. Now, this is coming from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is not 
a conservative newspaper. In fact, it is definitely the other way. They did a poll that indicated among a sample size of 309 self-identified Hispanic-likely voters, 47.4% would vote for Walker, 41% for Warnock. The poll also showed Chase Oliver, the libertarian on the candidate, with 11.1% of the Hispanic-likely voter support, another 0.3% were undecided. What does that say? They don't want Raphael Warnock to go back to the Senate next year. Additionally, on the generic congressional ballot among Hispanic-likely voters, 46% said they would vote for the Republican, another 48% said they would vote for the Democrat, 5% said they don't know. But when asked about the gubernatorial race, there's another big race there in Georgia. Two candidates, Governor Bryant Kemp, he's the incumbent, he's a Republican, and far-left Stacey Abrams were in a statistical tie. Of the same Hispanic respondents, 48% supported Kemp, 49% supported Abrams. Only 2.3% said they supported Shane Hazel, That's the libertarian candidate in the race. Another 0.2% were undecided. So what does this say? It debunks all of the seeds that have been sown by the left about horrible racism and restrictive uh, policies that are keeping people of color from going to vote. These Hispanics, they see and hear all of this, and they know it's not true. They're doing something that I think everybody needs to do, which is forget about the politicization. Forget about the campaign ads. Look for yourself. Learn for yourself who these candidates are, what they have done in their lives, and what they're telling us, and you're confident they're going to do if they're elected or re-elected. Warnock has a very speckled past and I won't even get into that. We've done it in previous uh, previous sessions of TNN Live. Herschel Walker, late. His wife came out, former wife, and she made all kind of nasty allegations against him. He was a horrible father. He did this. He did that, yada, yada, yada. And it came out the next day. A email was released that was from... Herschel Walker's ex-wife to his his ex-wife to him telling him how glad she is that he's running and how she is praying and is talking to her friends. They're all going to vote for him. This kind of stuff doesn't happen, but it does happen, and the reason it does happen is because of politicization. It's almost like Somebody in Warnock's camp got a hold of these people. I mentioned out in uh, in Nevada, this is this is a real shocker. There is a Democrat U.S. senator that is in the Senate right now from there, but Republican challenger Adam Laxalt has a lead. He inched up. He's got a one-point lead over the incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, and this is among likely voters. Laxalt's one-point lead is within the margin of error, of course, but Laxalt has led the race in seven of the last eight polls with an average lead of about two points. Cortez Masto 
has outspent Laxall by uh, a paltry $9 million in campaigning. With just these two weeks plus before the election day, the Nevada Senate race seems to be defined. They're doing it, the candidates are, by soaring inflation, the poor economy. The biggest issues for Nevada voters are the economy, 84%. Inflation, 82%. Crime, 69%. Illegal immigration, 60%. And election integrity, 58%. 95% of respondents believe that soaring inflation has either been a hardship, difficult, or inconvenient. Only 5% say inflation has had no impact. Gas prices, which has obviously fueled our inflation, are also a big factor in the Nevada race. 94% of respondents said gas prices have had an impact on their families. Just 6% said soaring pain at the pump, no impact on them. The state average price of gas, by the way, You know, I filled up my car, I guess it was Monday of this week, and gas was, it was just getting just barely above $3 a gallon again in Louisiana. And I just got sick when I went to the pump. My gas bill was like $65. At $5 a gallon, my gas bill would be almost $100 per a tank of gas. I would croak if that happened to me. And I got to be honest with you. I don't see it getting better before the midterms and I don't see it getting better after the midterms. Why? It just seems like you couldn't make this government and the life of the people, you couldn't make it as bad as we have seen it become in just less than two years under Joe Biden. I felt like I knew he was going to change some things. He promised he was going to do a bunch of stuff when he was campaigning. The American people, Democrats primarily, they supported him. And sure enough, he's doing most of the exact things that he promised he would do. I didn't think it would destroy us. I knew it would eventually, but not as quickly as as it has. Folks, it's really bad. And it's getting worse. And unless something miraculous happens, like he decides that uh, he's not going to finish out this term. I've said this from the very beginning. I predicted that at some point before his term as president is over, one morning Dr. Jill is going to call Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and say something like this, guys, Joe's going to have to move on. He can't handle this anymore. He's had a medical issue come up. And so he needs he needs to retire from office. I can see that happen. And there are a lot of people that would say, yay, 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 it happens. But here's the problem. <laughs> Who's the vice president? Can you imagine having Kamala Harris at the top of the heat for two years? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> at least Joe Biden knows about politics. He's been in it for a long enough time. He can kind of keep the, the, the car on the road most of the time. Kamala Harris would wreck it in the first 100 yards. And we don't have much time left. We're running a little bit over because we started a little bit late this morning. But I couldn't miss this story. I had to tell you this. It's about, and it's from a teacher's conference. A teacher's conference. This teacher's conference or about this particular one, about 
decolonizing our minds. It's about intersectional feminism, and it's about whiteness. Now, this is at the annual Northwest Teaching for Social Justice Conference. This year's conference is titled Rethinking Our Classrooms, Organizing for Better Schools. It will include conversations on race, on transgenderism, and the environment, of course, all from a leftist perspective. And it's going to happen online this weekend. Starts tomorrow. Those who organize the conference explain that they are dedicated to sustaining and strengthening public education through social justice teaching and educational activism. Activism. At least they're being honest about it, right? One session is titled Decolonizing Our Minds, Amplifying Indigenous Cultures to Inspire Responsible Action. The description of that, it reads this way. Rooting out systems of white supremacy is key to transforming students' experiences. During the session, the school personnel will explore the importance of decolonizing our minds to break down white supremacist culture in the classroom. The description also asserts that whiteness permeates school cultures around acceptable behavior and learning goals. The education system can be decolonized by using indigenous values as an underpinning of our elementary classroom curriculum. This is all happening, folks. Another talk is called Strategies for Supporting Undocumented Students and Families, and it claims all students have the right to a free public education regardless of their immigration status or that of their parents. One news agency recently reported that illegal immigration poses a massive financial burden on the American education system, costing us about $80 billion a year just for remedial English instruction. Another talk is going to discuss defunding the police as a potential policy solution called Whose City? Using City Council police budgets to teach argument and evidence in the language arts classroom. And the description of that class reads this. Defund, reform, fund, abolish, our students engage with these topics while learning about real-life organizations doing the work of envisioning a different policing system for their city. Participants are going to use the interactive structures of a gallery walk, role play, and mock city council meeting on the Portland police budget, it adds. A report found that Portland's homicide rate increased by a whopping 207 percent from 2019 to 2021. The description of one session titled, Is There a Right Way to Protest? Engaging Students in the Study of Protest reads, We want students to understand how to protest when they witness an injustice. I know this is long. When I read this, I said, I got to tell the people about this. This is the craziest thing that I have ever seen regarding public education. And this is happening in the Northwest. This is happening to students up there. This is happening to people that really need a good education 
and they don't need education to be a class on culture, on whiteness, on how to understand white supremacy. Oh my gosh. This is America, folks. On any day, anybody can do anything. You have a wonderful weekend. I can't wait to see you Monday morning. Congressman Mike Johnson at 10. You be here at 9. See you then.
taking a break. Thank you. Thanks for coming out and sweating with us.